Our scripture passage today is from the book of Judges, chapter 6, verses 11 through 24. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abyssinite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? If I'm reading slowly, it's because I forgot to print my copy and I'm reading it off of your screen. Thank you for your grace. But now the Lord has abandoned us and has given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, If I have now found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. So Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and from an epa of flour he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in the basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and place them on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of his staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. And when Gideon realized it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. And so Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands in, I'm going to say this wrong, Orphra of the Abyssinites. This is the word of the Lord. So friends, Annika, my youngest daughter, and I re recently finished a series of books called Alcatraz versus the Evil Librarians. It's fun. I recommend it. And in this fantasy series, Alcatraz is a boy who has a power that sometimes feels like a gift, but mostly it feels like a curse. He has something that in the story is somewhat paradoxically called the breaking talent. Often, when Alcatraz opens a door, the doorknob will come off in his hand. He'll try to cook something on a stove, and the stove will break in a way that starts a kitchen fire. The straps of his backpack are always breaking off. 
pens fall apart in his hand, pretty much anything he touches is likely to break. One of Anna's favorite parts of the story recalls a time when he picked up a chicken and all of its feathers fell off in a heap on the floor. He broke the chicken. Later on in the book series, Alcatraz meets people who help him learn how to train and use his breaking talent. In the battle against the evil librarians, Alcatraz uses his ability to break things in combat, breaking the weapons and vehicles of his opponents, breaking the walls of fortresses. He becomes famous in victory, but his power for breaking things never sits comfortably on his shoulders. He always manages to somehow feel broken himself, and he fears this power that some are calling the dark talent. He fears what it may someday do to those he loves, or even to the whole world, if he breaks far more than he ever should. Reading this story with my youngest, I couldn't help but see this as a metaphor for the reality and the history of the church and humanity. Because don't all humans have the breaking talent? Ever since sin entered the world, people have had the power of breaking. Cain broke Abel. Israel kept breaking their covenant with God. Eventually, whole empires would break God's people in the nation they had become. What do we call the Jewish diaspora in the Old and New Testaments? We call it the remnant, leftover bits of a broken nation. With sin, the breaking talent was unleashed on the world, and this has been a power that everyone has always feared even as they wielded it against one another. We are afraid, not only that others may use the breaking talent against us, but that our own power for breaking might somehow destroy us. That's a big part of why these challenging conversations we've been talking about here at Mountain View are so hard. There is so much at stake, so much that could be broken. Looking back at the fractured history of Reformed Christianity, we are all too aware of the ways in which the church has broken in the past, and we fear more breakage. And then we look at the brokenness of the world around us and the brokenness in our own communities, even in our own families, and again, there is much to lose and much to fear. And of course, this isn't a new scenario. The history of the church is littered with accounts of fear and brokenness. In the days of the judges, the relationship between God and his people seemed to break again and again. Israel would disobey God, breaking the covenant, Neighboring nations would invade, breaking their peace and safety, until finally they would cry out and God would use one of his judges to heal his people, offering a chance to repair the nation and the covenant. But the cycle just seemed to deepen 
with each rupture greater than the previous one. What a desperate and terrifying time this was for God's people. They couldn't even see the lines anymore between intentional and unintentional breaking of the covenant. That was a frightening situation. So what was God's stance in the midst of this cycle of brokenness and fear? How does God respond to the fear that grows out of this fracturing of the covenant and of his people? Well, that's one of my favorite parts of the story. So now we'll dig into the text and see what he does. In Judges 6, we read about how the Israelites were hunted by the Midianites. The Midianites were killing every animal and ruining every crop, leaving behind useless and barren fields. And so the Israelites were being starved. They fled their homes and hid in caves and tried to eke out a subsistence without being noticed by their powerful tormentors who must have seemed like ultimate destroyers to them, powerfully wielding their breaking talent. These destroyers were such a pervasive threat that a man named Gideon is found threshing wheat in a wine press when the angel of the Lord comes to visit him. He was hiding his wheat harvesting from the enemy lest he catch their awful attention. Interestingly, when the Lord's messenger says, the Lord is with you, at first Gideon balks. In chapter 6, verse 13, he says, pardon me, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all of his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now, the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Oh man. Gideon and his people are in dire straits due to their oppression and the fear of the Midianites. I get that. But still, his answer is rather bitter. Perhaps he doesn't know that he's speaking to the angel of the Lord yet. When reading the story, I pause to cringe here. What reply will come from the righteous God of Israel? Will God strike Gideon down for his insolence? Well, our text says, The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? The Lord turned to him. That's so interesting. They were already talking to one another, and I seriously doubt that the angel of the Lord was facing the wrong direction during this conversation, but somehow... He turned to him. This sounds intimate to me, like when a friend pauses during a conversation and looks you right in the eye to say something important. Gideon then argues a bit with the angel of the Lord. There's some back and forth, 
And when it starts to dawn on Gideon that he might actually be speaking to the God of Israel who comes with a promise of deliverance, he says, if I have now found favor in your eyes, please give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. Do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. So just to name what's happening here, after being rather brash with the angel of the Lord and openly doubting God's providence, Gideon is now testing him, asking for a sign, even though he's doing so by preparing an offering, which seems nice, he's still testing God. And so what does the Almighty have to say to this? Verse 18, and the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Okay, so far, God is going awfully easy on Gideon. So Gideon leaves for a while and then returns with a whole goat and bread and broth. The angel of the Lord touches the food with his staff and it bursts into flame and is consumed just as the messenger vanishes before Gideon's eyes. Oh, no. If Gideon thought he was scared a moment ago, now he is seriously trembling. This really was God's messenger. And the only thing that could be more terrifying for Gideon than the destruction brought on by the Midianites is being faced with the God who allowed them to wield this power in the first place. It is no surprise that Gideon, when he realizes who he was just talking to, cries out, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Gideon seriously fears he's about to be smote. And now, the angel of the Lord has vanished. But God still somehow answers Gideon at this moment, and he says in verse 23, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. That's three times that God reached in to Gideon's fear and gave him peace. Folks, this sounds like tenderness. Gideon has trembled in fear of destruction and then trembled in fear of the God he slighted. But now the God of power responds with words of peace and a promise of safety. Is it any wonder that Gideon immediately built an altar right then and there and called it the Lord is peace? After all, God spoke of delivering Israel, but you'll notice Gideon didn't call his altar the Lord is deliverance. In terrifying times, his petrified heart needed peace more than anything, and that's what God lovingly brought him. And then the story continues. As many of you, I'm sure, remember God's spirit falls on Gideon, and by that power, Gideon raises an army. But this is still a frightful situation, and Gideon is full of fright in the midst of it. 
He calls on God for another sign in verse 36, testing his own faith as much as God's reliability. If you will save Israel by my hand as you promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. But this isn't a very miraculous request. If you leave a blanket outside overnight in mild weather, it's likely to be covered in dew in the morning, especially a fleece. Maybe the ground will be dry, maybe not, but that blanket is likely to be wet on most mornings, just like the grass on the ground is on most mornings. Just ask anyone who's gone camping and accidentally left a towel lying around somewhere outside overnight. No, Gideon, he's working himself up the courage to ask for the real miracle. And in verse 39, the next day, he says, don't, don't be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece, but this time, make the fleece dry and the ground be covered with dew. Now that's more miraculous. But now, Gideon has tested God twice in two days. Who does he think he is? This right here would be an ideal time for God to lambast Gideon for his lack of faith, but he doesn't say a word. Our text says in verse 40, that night, God did so. And that's remarkable. What lengths will God go to in order to instill some confidence in Gideon, to relieve his fear, and to help him truly experience the peace that comes from putting your whole trust in God? The story goes on. God only lets Gideon take 300 men to this battle. And Gideon's tiny army is camped out, and God comes to Gideon at night, and he says, get up and go down against the camp, because I am giving it into your hands. And if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they were saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. Notice that Gideon didn't ask God for a sign this time. He asked for one when he met the angel of the Lord. He asked for two with the signs of the fleece. But here, God isn't even waiting for him to ask for a sign. He offers it before Gideon can ask. And he names what it is that Gideon is really hoping for. If you are afraid, go down and listen, and afterwards, you will be encouraged. This is tenderness. If you are afraid, you will be encouraged. Not only that, but take a friend with you so that you don't have to walk into the enemy's camp alone at night, because that's scary. God reaches in to Gideon's fear and tenderly gives him peace, reassurance, and encouragement throughout this whole episode. 
Now we're ending the, nearing the end of our story. Gideon and Purah sneak down into the camp, and they overhear two enemy soldiers talking about a prophetic dream in which their army is conquered by this tiny one beside them. And now it is their turn to tremble in fear. And sure enough, God conquers the enemy and delivers his people, bringing them peace and safety again. And then later, he delivers them again, and then again, and then again. And eventually, of course, God delivered the whole world by sending his son. When we read the story of Gideon's overwhelming fear that springs from his great brokenness and from the brokenness of his people, we find the God of Israel and of the whole world lovingly, tenderly, bringing peace, courage, and deliverance to his petrified people. The layers of grace in this story connect us to the grace of Christ, who teaches us so much about the Father's tender, loving character. When we look at Jesus, we see God as he has always been and always will be, the one who reaches into our fear and brokenness with peace. But even beyond that, in Jesus, we see God's answer to the breaking power of sin and fear. Ultimately, Christ broke the breaking talent and then sent the Holy Spirit into our hearts so that we can be continually mended by our loving God. And we need to be continually mended because like the Israelites in the time of the judges, we still see cycles of brokenness in the world and even in the church. We see this and we feel trapped in our brokenness. We feel afraid and we think fearful thoughts. What if my children or grandchildren fall away from God? What if there's another church split someday? What if there's some kind of painful break in my community or my family? What if countries keep invading one another and earthquakes keep happening? What if the church doesn't function like it should? What if our global ecosystems are too broken for us to fix? And God? How does God respond to all this? Through scripture, both the Old and New Testaments, and through the words of Christ, and through the Holy Spirit, God reaches into our fear and he whispers, peace, do not be afraid. And if you are afraid, you will be encouraged. For in this world, you will have trouble. But I have overcome the world. And I have told you these things so that in me, in Jesus, you may have peace. Please let me pray for you. Lord, we fear and you bring us peace. 
and we fear, and you tenderly comfort us. And this is our cycle. And Lord, in the midst of our fear, we find courage in our trust in you. So Lord, keep showing up in our hearts. Keep mending us with your spirit. Keep bringing us that peace as we bravely walk through our fear in this world and say, yes, I am scared, but God has this in hand. He loves us. He is our deliverer, and he brings me peace every day. Thank you, Lord. Amen.